Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, I want to I want to start with uh with a question. M- maybe this will set the tone, Joyelle. I don't know. Um okay. How privileged <laughs> would you say your overall abortion process was? Well, okay. I might say I might say like an Ivanka Trump, like an Ivanka Trump, you know, like a real nice Republican situation, very rich, no pain, not much pain involved, you know. No, I didn't see a bill. It was, you know, it was Ivanka Trump. Ivanka Trump. Hey, Caroline. Hey, Kristen. How are you doing? Well, uh, it is our very first episode of Unladylike, so I'm both excited, nervous, and sweating in places I don't want to share. Same! So, y'all, let's bring you up to speed. This is our new podcast where we investigate what happens when women break the rules. Those unwritten but all too real bullshit expectations of how we should live our lives. Each episode starts with a question, which we'll answer with real-world women's stories. And you and I, Caroline, will also be conducting some obsessive gender research as... Per usual. Yeah, as we usually do. Because we've been doing feminist podcasting together for years. We are basically podcast wives. But with this show, we wanted to start new conversations, talk to more people, and confront more taboos and stigma. And hopefully, along the way, empower other women-identified women to do the same. So now, it's time to get unladylike. Which brings us to abortion. Naturally. (laughs) Yes. We want to talk specifically today about how to pay for one because it's been 45 years as of january 22nd 2018 since roe v wade since you know we allegedly have reproductive rights but looking at the money is going to give us a better read on how far we've actually come in terms of reproductive justice so today we're asking how do you pay for an abortion And we're going to hear from three women about their very different experiences doing just that. And in our Unpack the Claptrap segment, we'll put their stories in context so y'all can work out how you'd pay for your own. Because spoiler alert, y'all, abortions are not cheap. Well, for most people. Uh, Hello, everyone. My name is Joyelle Nicole Johnson. Yes, that's three names. And I had an abortion. I'm not ashamed of it. And, And it cost... Me, absolutely no money, which was great because I'm a fancy princess. (laughs) Joyelle is the most fabulous abortion princess. As we'll hear, she totally sets the bar for abortion experiences. I mean, how often do you hear that kind of abortion pride? Almost never, because abortions are expected to be, like, emotionally tortured decisions, right? I mean, and of course, they can be. 
But the fact is, especially for our purposes today, Caroline, abortion is most often a practical financial decision. I mean, three quarters of women and non-binary people who seek abortions do it because they can't afford to have a kid or, like, another kid. Yeah, and that's why feminists pre-Roe v. Wade were arguing for free abortion on demand, which is basically what Joelle got. Yes, but she's kind of the modern anomaly in that respect. Well, uh, I got pregnant the classy way on the floor of an Amtrak train in the handicapped bathroom. And I propose this. If you are having sex on the floor of an Amtrak train in a handicapped bathroom, maybe you're not ready to be a mother. I was 20. Most people would consider that unladylike. I just say I'm a good time. Um, (laughs) I'm a fun person. Jael was so not ready to have a kid. But thankfully, she had, like, basically the ultimate connection in this situation. My mother, super. She's the best woman in the world. She's a nurse. Nurses are the sweetest people in the world. And, and, you know, being raised by a nurse, uh, I knew that I could tell her. I was like, hey, I'm pregnant. And the next words out of her mouth were, what do you want to do? And that, that choice that she gave me immediately, I just breathed a huge sigh of relief, like, Waiting to exhale, Terry McMillan style, just got it all out. And and I was like, wow, okay. So I decided to have the abortion. This is just the start for Joyelle. Her mom did even more. She set everything up with a doctor friend to handle the procedure pro bono. She got a pro bono abobo. <laughs> the pro bono abobos is my new dream band. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, but hold up now. So what you're telling me, though— is that Joyelle's mom hooked her up with, I'm saying this in all caps, listeners, a free abortion on demand? Oh, yeah. And she didn't have to go to an abortion clinic. Her appointment was in a generic medical office building, so that meant that when she showed up, there wouldn't be any protesters. You know, there were no people waving signs, nothing like that. Uh, (laughs) Joyelle might as well have been going to the dentist. It was a medical office building. I walked in, go up. It's really nice, you know, nice waiting room, very quiet. I think I might have been the only person there. He might have opened just for me. I'm not sure. Um, Go in, and in the room there was an anesthesiologist and my doctor. So the next thing I knew, I woke up, and and I had, like, I don't know, apple juice and (laughs) graham crackers or something. My other friends have said, you don't get put to sleep regularly. I mean, getting anesthesia is a luxury. You don't get put to sleep for an abortion because the procedure is very, very quick. And they have to, you know, be awake and feeling that. You got to feel the vacuum. I didn't have to feel that. And to quickly clarify, the vacuum that Joyelle's referencing is uh, the vacuum aspiration abortion, also known as the surgical abortion, which is super common, super safe, and Joyelle was under general anesthesia for it. So I, I know that's just extra, extra privilege on top of privilege. I just got to wake up. Didn't see a bill. It was amazing. So... This might have been the first time I've ever heard someone describe their abortion as amazing. Yeah, me too. But, Caroline, let's be real. If people have a haunting experience of abortion, there's a good chance it had nothing to do with the emotional, religious, or whatever other pressures women experience, and more to do with the money. 
So can you share for our audience what is sitting in front of you? It is a bill from DeKalb Medical, um, originally for about $7,800, and then I owe $1,700. So $1,700 or $7,800 was the total? Yes. Okay. So could you share what cost $7,800? I had to have an abortion for a failed miscarriage. So this is Gabriella. She's married, she's got blue hair, and when I visited her at her house in Atlanta, I could tell from the moment she opened her door that she's just super self-aware. So whereas Joyelle was young and fabulous and still figuring herself out, Gabriella is a little bit older, still fabulous, but she and her husband were excited to start a family. They had wanted to have the baby, but she ended up miscarrying around eight or nine weeks in. So I was pregnant. And we, I started getting sick and was bleeding for about a week. Went to the doctor. Everything was fine. Heartbeat, you know, nothing wrong. Assured me to just like take it easy. Um, Went in for a checkup a week later and there was no heartbeat. And Caroline, one reason I wanted to talk to her was because this was a wanted pregnancy. We don't often think about miscarriage and abortion going together, but a quarter of pregnancies end in miscarriage. And about half that time, our bodies don't naturally expel the embryo tissue, so women need either a medical or surgical abortion. And in Gabriella's case, her OBGYN recommended the surgical route. But that surgical route is what cost her $7,800. But it was even worse, too, because we were paying $700 a month for health insurance. So the health insurance basically didn't do anything at all. This is nuts, right? I mean, she'd upgraded to that $700 a month platinum insurance specifically to get better maternity care. So Caroline, from your research, how does Gabriella's bill compare with average abortion costs? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of an outlier because on average, a first trimester surgical abortion will usually run you between 300 and 500 bucks. I mean, it can get up to three grand, But honestly, I mean, what I found is that there's just no standard price, depending on where you live, what your insurance is, if you're going to go to a hospital or a clinic to have it done, uh, what kind of anesthesia you might get. Um, The price is going to change. We were thinking it was going to be like $2,000 and my insurance would cover like a good bit of that. And then I got the bill and it was for $7,800 and I owed $1,700. And, like, we literally, like, shit our pants a little bit. We were were like, oh, my God, I can't possibly afford this. And it was just kind of, like, insult to injury at that point. Because, you know, if they had told me ahead of time, I maybe would have searched out other options or waited or, you know, I mean, I don't know. What she's talking about when she says that she could have waited Yes, there is a chance that maybe the tissue would have passed through her on her own, but then she'd have to dispose of what would have been her baby. Yeah, or risk infection. So it's just bad options all around. But what really stuck with me after talking to her was that the pregnancy loss wasn't what was keeping her up at night. This bill that sits in front of me puts me in a very different headspace about trying to have a baby again. 
in terms of the trauma that you endure? Yeah, the well, the emotional trauma, but also just like the financial trauma of like just the guilt of like that money. Like I look at that bill and I feel guilty that I, I feel selfish that I couldn't just have waited and not done the surgery because I didn't want to wait anymore. It's hard for me to reconcile myself with that bill. Mm -hmm. Like you should have been thriftier with. Right. Like I should have been a little bit more, a little bit shopped around a little more for my abortion, I guess is what I mean to say. And it makes me so mad for her, Caroline. Did you hear that? Like, she feels selfish for doing what the doctor recommended she do. And it's funny, too. I got the bill the day that I packed up all the baby stuff because we had, like, you know, started getting stuff from people for presents and whatnot. Um, I packed everything up and was, like, undoing the mail and got the bill on the same day and was just like, ugh, Jesus. Honestly, Caroline, talking to Gabriella just raised even more questions for me. Like, why don't we hear more about this reality of abortion as well? We know it happens a lot. And after this happened to her, Gabriella ended up connecting with a ton of women who have had similar experiences, which, like, I'm glad that they found each other. But the fact that they needed to in the first place is just sad. Yeah, what should be a time for processing a pregnancy loss and healing ends up being a financial crisis. Well, we know what we've got to do, Caroline. Heck yeah, we do. We're going to work this out in our first installment of Unpack the Claptrap, coming up next. So now it's time to unpack the claptrap. And this is our segment where we slip on those feminist nerd glasses of ours to sort through all the history and context of why things are the way they are. And just to clarify, the the claptrap is essentially the social garbage piles that we all have to navigate through. And the claptrap today is how abortion has always been available, but not necessarily affordable. Way before abortion was decriminalized in the States, for instance, enough money could buy you one. Wealthier women could access abortions through their private doctors or jet set to places like Japan and London, where it was already legal. And this is where we start to see the difference between reproductive rights, which we all supposedly have, And reproductive justice when it comes to actually being able to safely and healthily access those rights. And we're still fighting for this 45 years after Roe v. Wade. It's still a financial burden for most people who get abortions. Yeah, so choosing your reproductive choice is a financial privilege for sure. And to make sense of all this, we're going to walk through the three primary factors that affect your abortion price tag today. One, how rich you are. Two, how far along you are. And three, how far away you are. First up, how rich you are. Regardless of ethnicity, age, relationship status, the number one thing that people who need an abortion have in common is money. Or, well, lack thereof. 
For a little context, about 70% of abortion seekers pay for the procedure out of pocket, and about half said that they found it difficult to pay for, which makes sense when you take into account that three-quarters of women who seek abortions are low-income. And things are about to get more complicated with our second factor affecting your abortion price tag, which is how far along you are in your pregnancy. Two-thirds of women who access abortions say they would have gotten one sooner, but they had to wait to get the money. But here's the rub. The longer you wait, the more expensive it becomes. So that first trimester abortion, that costs between three dollars and $500. Once you get into the second trimester, that cost might go up as high as $1,500. And the third factor affecting your abortion price tag is how far away you are. So get this. We actually spoke with an abortion travel agent, a job that I didn't realize existed. But she works in Texas, and she helps women arrange travel and payments for their procedures. Because clinics are so few and far between in such a massive state. Exactly, exactly. The takeaway here is that distance equals time equals money. Women living in rural counties in places like Montana, Texas, and Wyoming have to travel about 180 miles on average to get to a clinic. So you've got to shell out for transportation, which is going to run you an average of 44 bucks. And if you've got to take time off work because of mandatory waiting periods and travel, you're looking at lost wages of about 200 bucks. You might be leaving other children at home, so that's an average of about 60 bucks for childcare expenses. So this is clearly not just an issue of how much the procedure itself costs. And regardless of where you live, Caroline, in the background of all of this, our laws. We have federal and state laws further restricting our reproductive rights. So get ready to hear how much the government is screwing us. No pun intended. 1976, the Hyde Amendment came around. Now, it's not a household name, but it should be because it is just as significant as Roe v. Wade because it made it so that no federal cash could be used to cover abortion costs except in the extreme cases of rape, incest, or impending death. And this is still the case today. It even prevents abortions like Gabriella's, which are related to miscarriages, from being publicly funded. That means nobody on Medicaid can access this particular maternal health care. And it's the same case for people on U.S. military insurance. Same for the two million Native Americans who are covered by the Indian Health Services. I mean, even Peace Corps volunteers who get their health insurance through the federal government can't get their abortions covered. And even if you have private health insurance, you might still pay out of pocket. Some folks do that for privacy reasons, but also... Almost half of all states have passed restrictions on private insurance companies' abortion coverage, again, except in these extreme cases of rape, incest, or impending death. So, in a nutshell, the U.S. government is okay with abortion if you're super rich or, sorry to say it, super raped. I don't think this is going to be the last we see of screwy laws screwing with our youths. Oh, for sure. Essentially, lawmakers have just made it as hard as possible without simply repealing Roe versus Wade to make abortion a super expensive and difficult choice to choose. 
But there are also huge efforts to get around all of these obstacles. We want to show you just how strong, how creative, and how utterly determined women who need abortions can be when they have to. That's up next. Okay, so for this next segment, we want to go ahead and offer a trigger warning for listeners who are sensitive to topics of abuse and sexual assault. Now, like we mentioned earlier, more than half of people seeking abortions have to pay for it out of pocket. And whether abortion is legal or not, Caroline, women have always had to get scrappy to fundraise this for themselves. So taking on side jobs, hosting bake sales, or just like selling stuff that you own, like your clothes or jewelry, are still super common ways to make that abortion money. And so now we want to share an example of that with you. A woman getting incredibly determined, persistent, and creative when it comes to paying for an abortion. I used to be very pro-life until I got pregnant, right? It wasn't until then that I understood what other people may, may go through. That's Amy. She grew up in Mexico where abortion access is criminalized in some places. And since it's already a super religiously conservative country, abortion is hush-hush across the board regardless. When Amy got pregnant at 16, she had no job, no money. Her uncle had repeatedly raped her for more than a year. And she said that since he's this respected guy in the community and basically her entire immediate family was abusive as well, she really had no safe adults that she could turn to for help or money. So I had two main best friends and I told the first one of them, she and I did everything together. And then she said, cool, let's find the money somehow. So she just told some of our friends that I was going through some health issues and we needed the money. And that's when they all pitched in somehow to get the money. So that friend of hers told her about this med student guy who'd done this before. He'd handled illegal abortions. And when she got in touch with him, he ended up texting her that he wanted $250. And as a 16-year-old, it's not like she had this disposable income lying around. This price tag called for desperate measures. If you grew up in Mexico... You see a lot of people just singing in the train station and they get money for it. So I thought maybe it's not, I'm not going to get the whole thing, but every little bit helps. And my other friends were like, well, we don't sing very well, but we are, we look kind of funny. So maybe we can just like tell jokes and ask people for money. So we lay down a map of all the train stations that run through the city and then we just divided stations and that's how we did it. So imagine that, Kristen. Here's Amy and her high school theater pals mapping out the train station like they're spies or something, all so that they could sing and dance to raise money for an illegal abortion. Oh, my gosh. We were singing Taylor Swift songs. I think You Belong With Me was out there and uh, Love Story. I think that's the name of it. I don't remember. It was back then when she had like curly hair. It was really weird because we were singing or trying to sing in English when most of us didn't really quite have a grasp of the language. So people just kind of went with it. And it was really funny. One of my friends cannot sing to save his life. So he purposely did a horrible job. And he was overly dramatic. So people were laughing with him. So it was kept me take my mind off of what was going on. And it made me feel like 
you know, these people don't really know what's going on, but they're willing to help me even if I don't tell them exactly what the money's for. It just made me feel like I was trusted to make a good decision. Even after this incredible show of support from her friends, the group still had not raised enough money. So one of Amy's friends actually ended up pawning her iPod. They finally got the $250, and Amy and her best friend went to meet that sketchy med student guy at his apartment. So I showed up there, and um, it was just like an empty apartment. There was little to no furniture. There was just only one table. It was really cold. Um, He didn't really have like a sterilizer machine, so he was just boiling the (laughs) instruments in water. In a, on a stove, and he was just very... I mean, I knew it wasn't really safe. So he just told me that he was going to try his best so I could stay sedated um, for as long as he could. And, you, you know, he gave me an injection and he gave me some pills. I really don't know what, he, what it was. I really didn't want to ask. And as the medication started to take effect, he just... Um, told me that I should call somebody in case I didn't wake up. And I only had one friend waiting for me outside because she wasn't even allowed to come in with me. And, you know, um, I woke up midway through the procedure, and I can tell you I do not wish the pain upon anybody. It really, it felt like somebody was ripping off my insides, and it just felt like something was burning, really crampy, and I saw a lot of blood, and I really didn't know what to do. It continued for like two more minutes, I guess. And then um, he just looked at me and said something like, you know, we never met. Just try your best to, you know, go to the hospital if there's some bleeding, but it should be okay. It wasn't. Uh, The next day, Amy had to rush to the emergency room. That stovetop boiling situation didn't actually sterilize the instruments, and the procedure had given her a super painful infection. Amy ended up in the hospital for a few days, and things didn't really improve with her family life. A few years after all of this, when Amy was 18, she ended up moving to the U.S. to live with her dad. Her mom basically kicked her out. Now, Caroline, if all of this had happened after Amy moved to the U.S., she would have qualified for that Hyde Amendment exemption, which would mean that federal funds could cover her abortion because her pregnancy was the result of rape, right? Yeah, absolutely. But here's what Amy had to say about that idea. I should not have to be dying to be able to make a decision over my own body. And I feel like it's really unfair to say only in case of a rape I was raped and I didn't report it. Many others don't do it, be, don't report it because they we feel ashamed and it's horrible. It's it's really a horrible thing to go through and then having to explain other person. So people just keep quiet. I don't feel like it makes it safer at all. I think it makes it more dangerous because I knew that it was it was illegal. I knew that I could face jail time. And the looming factor behind all of this is something every woman has to contend with. It's this imposed shame that we're expected to feel about abortion. This is also something that I talked with Fancy Princess Joyelle about. You know, she might have had the Ivanka Trump treatment, but she's still sick of what women have to put up with. It's the shame that they put on us. And they is ubiquitous. It's 
it's that white male politician who thinks he knows what he's talking about and they want to make women feel bad. They want to make us feel like sluts. They want to make us feel like we're stupid and we don't know what we want. Waiting periods are an example of that. And it's like, I already made this decision. You know, it's a punishment tactic from childhood. You think about what you did. You go sit in the corner and then maybe I'll give you this right. And it's like, no, (laughs) don't take all of that away because it's still going to be hard. Let's take the shame out of it because it's nothing to be ashamed of at all. Like, it's as if they want us in back alleys again. And I refuse. Kristen, our mission for this episode was to find out how to pay for an abortion. And as it turns out, there's really no simple answer. But following the money just shows that we're still losing. And I don't honestly know where the pre-row rally cry for free abortion on demand went because... Despite it being 45 years this week since getting abortion rights, most of the women who need abortions still can't actually afford to get them. Yes, abortion happens and will always happen. And people are healthier when safe abortions are accessible and free. That's a fact. And women like Amy make it so clear that no one stops seeking an abortion just because it's unsafe, expensive, or illegal. It did not matter to me. And going back in time, I would have done the exact same thing, except that I would bought antibiotics for afterwards if I knew that I was going to get an infection. That's the only thing I would have done differently. So, Caroline, how do we wrap this up? Because there's no easy answer. There's no tidy ending. There's no simple solution. Yeah, I mean, I think the... I think one of the best... Low, low barrier to entry things that we can do is to continue to be vocal about it, right? To continue to talk about it, whether it's with our friends or family or whoever, because I think a lot of people aren't aware of the stakes involved in getting an abortion, of the complications and the hurdles involved. And a lot of people don't know what it takes to pay for an abortion. And if all of this terrible news uh, enrages you as much as it does us, we've got to take that anger and turn it into action. And there are a lot of ways that we can do that. There are, in fact, things called abortion funds uh, nationally and at the state level to help people who can't afford abortions pay for them. And we're definitely here to help as well. So you can check out some more resources on our site at unladylike.co. If you're wondering what these ladies are up to now, well, Joyelle is a professional comedian and she works for an organization called Lady Parts Justice. Gabriella just gave birth to a healthy baby boy. And Amy is a volunteer with Planned Parenthood. Oh, hey, one more thing. We have a surprise for you after the credits roll that just might help you out. Don't go away. We've compiled all our sources and heaps of information and resources about how to pay for an abortion, both in the U.S. and abroad, over at our website, unladylike.co, no M. 
So keep up with what's popping on the unladylike spheres of the internet by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Unladylike Media. And get actually good news about women in the world every week by subscribing to our newsletter. You can sign up on our website or click the link in the episode description of the show. And we'd also love to hear from you, dear listener. If you have any insights, questions, or requests about abortion or anything else you think we should tackle on our brand new show, hit us up on social or at hello at unladylike.co. Again, no M. And hey, if you like what you hear and want to help us start an Unladylike podcast revolution, the biggest thing you can do to help us is just going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a solid rating and review. Five stars are preferable. (laughs) Thanks for supporting us, y'all. This episode of Unladylike was produced by Clara Rollinson. Abigail Keel is our senior producer. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. And we are your hosts, Caroline Irvin. And Kristen Conger. Also, special thanks to Peter Clowney, Chandler Johnson, Samuel Hansen, Katie Mae Stewart of the Feminist Women's Health Center, and Natalie St. Clair of Fun Texas Choice. Next week on Unladylike. It's not like, hey, you're hot. It's like, hey, you're a bitch. We're talking catcalls and comebacks on two wheels. You don't want to miss it. So make sure you subscribe to Unladylike in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And remember, if you got a problem, get Unladylike. Oh, and here's the surprise we promised. Uh, this is something we'll be doing from time to time, and we're calling it Pep Talks. Hey, everybody. It's Joyelle, uh, your favorite fancy princess. I am here to give you a pep talk if you are about to have an abortion. And I know the feeling. I've been there. You have to get up. People have been getting you down about what you're about to do, but I want you to know everything's going to be all right. So here are a couple things that I would like you to know. First of all, what to take. Bring something to squeeze, whether it be a teddy bear or a stress ball, because sometimes it can be a very nerve-wracking experience, so it's always nice to have something to squeeze, especially if it's furry. Another thing, make sure your favorite playlist is loaded. I want you to put some women empowerment songs on there. I'm Every Woman's a Great Song, both the Shaka Khan and the Whitney Houston version. These are all great songs that are going to put you in a relaxing place. So make sure you make your playlist the way you want it and something that you want to hear. Now, protesters, they might be outside. I don't want you to worry about them. If you're shy, just look straight ahead. Don't listen to anything they say. As a matter of fact, put those headphones in. Start the playlist from the second you get out of your car. But if you're not shy and you're bold like me, take a page out of the Penguins of Madagascar and smile away, boys, because you are not doing anything wrong. Once you get inside the room, I want you to relax. Squeeze that teddy bear you brought and go to your happy place. Now you're in the room. You got to talk to the doctors. Trust them. They have your back. If there's anything you feel uncomfortable about, voice these opinions. Don't be afraid to use your voice. It's going to be okay. And what you keep in mind, I want you to affirm to yourself, you are not doing anything wrong. Keep saying that to yourself. I am not doing anything wrong. And you are not alone. One in four women in their life will have an abortion. I'm one of them. And when you're done with this whole procedure, celebrate it. Eat some comfort food. Get all the carbs that you want. Get all the ice cream that you want. Watch a comedy movie. 
listen to music, stay off of Twitter, call one of your best girlfriends and rest, get some nice, good sleep and just think about everything's going to be okay. What you did today was great for you. I just want you to keep that in mind. So Joelle had you back. All right. Stitcher.